0: If you have your Bibles, go and turn with me to Acts chapter 14. Title of the message is Acts chapter 14. Um, Paul and Barnabas are on their first missionary journey. We could say the Apostle Paul specifically. Remember in Acts chapter 13, there were five individuals that were gathered. And uh, out of those five individuals that were gathered, they, they were called prophets and teachers. Um, Two were chosen out of that list of five, Barnabas and Saul. His name would be changed to Paul, which is his Greek name. Saul is his Hebrew name. And so they would start this missionary journey, and they would go from um, Antioch, where they were, across. They sailed over to an island, and from there they went up to modern-day Turkey, which is Asia Minor. And uh, it would be in the region of Galatia, sharing the gospel, and it was difficult. They, um, being faithful to what God had called them to, it was by no stretch of the imagination just this easy thing. And we're going to see it continue and end in this chapter, chapter 14, in the book of Acts. But as we step out in faith in the Lord, our life has difficulties. And so I want you to consider that the difficulties in your life, the the tough things that you go through. And generally speaking, they're in the form of two things, either people, difficult people in your life or navigating through relationships, that's always difficult, or sometimes circumstances. And circumstances can include job stuff and money stuff and um, health stuff. And so those would be the circumstances. But as you navigate through this thing called life, you realize that, man, sometimes it's just not easy. And we're going to see that and how that dynamic plays here but I want you just to think about the Lord is aware of that the Lord wants to use that in all of our lives as, as his children as Christians and so um, that's what we're going to be looking at today. Let's continue on now as Paul and Barnabas are on this missionary journey. This is Acts chapter 14 verse 1 Now it happened in Iconium that they went together to the synagogue of the Jews and so spoke that a great multitude both of the Jews and of the Greeks believed. And so as they continue on and as was their custom, they would enter into a city and if there was a synagogue there, they would go into the synagogue and then they would be given opportunity to speak and when they had that opportunity to speak, they would share the gospel and people would get saved. And so now they're watching you know, Jews and Greeks, uh, Jews and non-Jews get saved. Jews and Gentiles now are being saved and added to the church and it's just this neat dynamic. But notice... The enemy, of course, always has his remnants as well, verse 2. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brethren. And so we see the warfare coming against them, but nonetheless, they're faithful in what God is calling them to. Verse 3, Therefore they stayed there a long time, speaking boldly in the Lord, who was bearing witness to the word of His grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. Now, you'll notice as you read through the book of Acts that the signs and the wonders, the miracles that they did, didn't save anybody. They were a confirmation that they were sent from God. It was the gospel that would save people. And so I think that's important for us as well. We swear, Lord, just give them a miracle and they'll believe. And God says, have them believe and I'll give them a miracle. And that's how it should work in our lives as well. I remember there was a season in my life as a Christian Where I was just, I don't know, it was signs, everything was signs and wonders, signs and wonders. And I just, miracles, and I wanted to see miracles. And I remember I I was just petitioning the Lord. Lord, give me a miracle, give me a miracle. And the Lord just whispered to me, you know, Johnny, I I can. I'm in the business of doing miracles, but at what point are you just going to obey me, son? At what point are you just going to grow up? Do I just got to keep showing you and confirming that I'm God in your life, And I just remember taking a step back and realizing, wow, Lord, you're calling me to just be faithful to what you're calling me to. And regardless of the signs and wonders or whether they happen or not, I got to be obedient to what I know to be true. And so these signs and wonders followed the gospel. They followed the message. And they were a confirmation for the people that they were sharing with. Moving on now, verse 4. But the multitude of the city was divided... Part sided with the Jews and part sided with the apostles. And so again, we're seeing warfare in the midst of what God's doing here in their lives. Verse 5. And when a violent attempt was made by both the Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to abuse and stone them, they became aware of it and they fled to Lystra and Derbe, cities of Lyconium, and to the surrounding region. And they were preaching the gospel there. And so... The warfare and the fact that they were threatened with their lives to be stoned, it didn't stop them from being faithful to the message. It just moved them. And that's something for us as a point of application. Circumstances will move us. Circumstances in our lives will cause us to be at times very, very uncomfortable. And so we move out because of those circumstances. But God guides us along the path. And so don't be afraid of that. Just remain faithful with what God has called you to, even though you may be moving out or moving in a different direction than what you thought maybe you were headed. All right, moving on, verse 8. And in Lystra, a certain man without strength in his feet was sitting a cripple from his mother's womb who had never walked. And so Luke, who is writing here, if you will, the book of Acts and giving us this historical account, he's a doctor. And notice he gives us three different definitions of the fact that this man cannot walk it says again let's read that verse 8 a man without strength in his feet he was sitting and then a cripple from his mother's womb and he had never walked and so do we know the state of this man yeah he's crippled he's been like that from birth and he can't walk and this is his condition and so verse 9 this man heard paul speaking Paul, observing him intently and seeing that he had faith to be healed, said with a loud voice, "Stand up straight on your feet." and he leaped and walked. Now I don't know what that means, observing that he had faith to be healed. I don't know if, if he's looking at him and as Paul is sharing the gospel, he's sharing the good news of Jesus and what Jesus wants to do in their lives. I don't know if like the Holy Spirit's tapping him on the shoulder. Hey, Paul, look at this guy, man. He's, he's really into it, huh? I think this guy believes on a little different level. I don't know if it's discernment. I don't know if it's a void. I don't know what's going on. But Paul looks at this guy as he's talking and he gets the impression that this guy has the faith to be healed. Now, does God only heal people who have the faith to be healed? No. Sometimes he heals others who have faith for them. Or sometimes nobody has faith, but God has the faith for them to be healed. And so, again, how this works, I, I don't know. I don't know. We leave that prerogative up to God. Whoever, however, whenever God wants to do a miracle in someone's life through healing them physically, we just leave that up to sovereign God. He knows what he's doing. We can have faith and I got all the faith in the world and yet it doesn't happen and we just trust, Lord, you know what you're doing. I'm going to leave this In your hands, and I'm going to trust that you know what you're doing. So, again, the signs and wonders are following the things that they are doing. Now, notice the reaction to this. This is a little comical in the scriptures here. Verse 11. Now, when the people saw what Paul had done, they raised their voices, saying in the Lyconian language, The gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. And Barnabas, they called Zeus, and Paul Hermes, because he was the chief speaker. Then the priest of Zeus, whose temple was in front of their city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates, intending to sacrifice with the multitude. What is going on? We have a tendency to think that temptation only comes in the form of things that are negative or, or trials only come in things that cause pain or suffering. Well, right here we have a temptation as well, right? Something that's, that's they want to worship them. They they want to elevate them as gods, and and how many of us, unfortunately, oftentimes in ministries, when when we hear the press, we 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 believe the the, the headlines. You Whoa, know, well, the gods are well, Yeah, I well, yeah, I'm kind of a god. <laughs> no, no, this is a dangerous place to be in ministry, where you have to give glory to God, you have to point people to God, and so this reaction is interesting. I. I have this little the people of Lystra had a legend that once Zeus and Hermes visited their land disguised as mortals and no one gave them any hospitality except for one older couple in their anger at the people Zeus and Hermes wiped out the whole population except for the old couple this may help explain why the Lystrians were so quick to honor Paul and Barnabas and so that's a legend. That's what was thought. And so maybe there's a dynamic that's playing there. That once, you know, Zeus and Hermes had come down and nobody in the city showed them hospitality. And so the whole city was wiped out. And this legend is in the minds of these people perhaps. And they're like, this ain't going to happen to us again. We're not going to be smoked. We're not going to be burned. We're not going to be charcoal. And so they start worshiping them. And again, I believe this is a very, very dangerous place for people who are involved in ministry when they begin to believe the press. And and mind you, negative or positive, we are called to walk under every compliment and keep everything negatively said between us and the Lord. Make sure that we give that to God. If somebody commends, you just say, hey, thank you, praise God. And if somebody judges or condemns, you say, yeah, not perfect. But you got to be careful not to just get, it's not about you, it's not about us, it's about the Lord. And we want to be pointing people to the Lord. Notice now uh, what Paul and Barnabas do, verse 14. But when the apostles, Barnabas and Paul, heard this, they tore their clothes. That's a sign of, of, of blasphemy. Like, what are you guys doing? And ran in among the multitude, crying out and saying, men, why are you doing these things? We also are men with the same nature as you and preach to you that you should turn from these useless things to the living God. And notice how he describes who the living God is, who made heaven, the the heaven, the earth, the sea, and all the things that are in them. So this true and living God is the creator of the universe. Verse 16, who in bygone generations allowed all nations to walk in their own way. Nevertheless, he did not leave himself without witness in that he did good. He gave us rain from heaven and fruitful seasons, filling our hearts with food and gladness, And with these sayings, they could scarcely restrain the multitudes from sacrificing to them. And so Paul and Barnabas do the right thing. They let them know, guys, we're only to worship the Lord. He's the creator. And look at how good he is to us. Look at how he provides. Look at his provision for us. So in that, again, they walk under that. And they're just like, they walk under that compliment. They're like, no, 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 no. Let's point you to the Lord. And let's show you that. And they could scarcely restrain them. And why is it bad to believe the multitude, anyways? Notice the next section. Now they're going to want to kill him, which is an extreme. We're going to worship you. No, we're going to kill you. Wow, that's kind of crazy there, right? Verse 19. The Jews from Antioch and Iconium came there, and having persuaded the multitudes, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing him to be dead. Wow, what an extreme reaction. One moment worshiping, the next moment trying to kill him, stoning him and leaving him for dead. Interesting, they came from Antioch and Iconium over 100 miles. How did they get there? Probably walked. Remember? That was that group that he shared with on his, uh, at the beginning of this first missionary journey. And they had walked all the way to where he was now, some 130 miles away. That's like us walking from here to Santa Barbara or us walking a little further uh, from here into the the border of Mexico, into Mexico. From here to Mexico is about 105 miles. From here to Santa Barbara is about 130 miles. Imagine that, walking that distance to do what? To stir up the people so that Paul could be murdered. (laughs) They stoned him and left him for dead, verse 20. However, when the disciples gathered around him, he rose up and went into the city. And the next day he departed with Barnabas to Derbe. Wow. How do you, how do you stop an individual like that? Okay. Stoning was a pretty good method of capital punishment. It's not, you know, little pea shooters. They're putting you in a pit and then they're taking boulders and they're catapulting you with boulders while you're in that pit. There's no defense for that. And so usually the the skull is getting cracked, and you're dead. They left him for, for dead, and then they walked away. The disciples came, and they gathered around. What do you think the disciples did? I'm sure they prayed. And, and I like what Luke does here. He doesn't say that he rose from the dead. He's like, he was left for dead, but and then he walked. And so maybe it's an inference. Maybe God did raise him from the dead. Maybe he did die. For sure he was stoned. And what does he do? He goes back into the city where they stoned him. Wow. Verse 21. And when they had preached the gospel to that city and made many disciples, they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch. And so now what Paul and Barnabas are going to do is they're going to head back in the direction that they started their missionary journey. And they're going to go to each one of those cities and encourage the brethren. Verse 22. Strengthening the souls of the disciples exhorting them to continue in the faith and saying, we must through many tribulations enter the kingdom of God. And so now think of your life. Through many tribulations enter the kingdom of God. Paul and Barnabas are on a missionary journey and they're serving God. But because you belong to God by nature, you are going to go through many tribulations as we enter into the kingdom of God. I find it interesting as they head back, I don't know, I just see our culture as weak. We would probably be like letting everyone know how difficult everything was, and letting everyone know how much suffering we went through, and letting everyone know how getting stoned really, really hurts. And yet as you, you watch Paul and Barnabas head back, they're just looking to the Lord. And this is just a given. Life's hard. Life has difficulties. Think of your life in the form of trials. Again, it's probably in two forms. It's probably in the form of people or in the form of circumstances, situations, right? And that's just life. It's a difficult thing to navigate through. So notice what he does again as he heads back after he tells them that we must through many Tribulations enter the kingdom of God. No, 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 no. Let's not do that. I, I wrote down all the difficult things that they went through. Let me read them to you. Remember the, the, the journey started in chapter 13, this missionary journey. Let me read you the things that they, they've gone through so far. that I, I just wrote them down. In chapter 13, verse 8, Elimus, who is called Barjesus, tries to turn the proconsul, who is Sergius, Sergius Paulus, away from the faith. So they're sharing the good news, and you got this Bar Jesus guy, Elimus, and he's trying to talk trash to this guy. That's not the way, and that's not salvation. That's not how you get saved. In chapter 13, verse 13, John Mark departs and goes back to Jerusalem. We don't know why he departs. We don't know if it's because Paul now is named first, and his uncle Barnabas isn't, and he ranks on them. He quits in the ministry on them. In chapter 13, verse 45, when the Jews saw the multitudes coming to hear Paul and Barnabas, They were filled with envy and contradicted the message and blasphemed. And so imagine you again in that position. I'm just sharing the good news with people. And you got this hater group over here that's stirring up people, contradicting the very message that I'm sharing. And they're against this message. This is good news, right? And again, you would be discouraged, I would imagine, by that. In chapter 13, verse 50, the Jews stirred up devout and prominent women and the chief men, and expelled them out of their region. Here in chapter 14, verse 2, we saw the unbelieving Jews poison the minds of the Gentiles that believed. Here in chapter 14, verses 3 and 4, after staying there a long time, a division occurred, part siding with the Jews and part siding with the apostles. In chapter 14, verses 5 and 6, we saw they had to flee to Lystra and Derbe after a violent attempt was made on their lives. In chapter 14, verses 9 through 18, we saw after the healing of the man lame from birth, they wanted to worship them as God, Zeus and Hermes. And then in chapter 14, verse 19, the Jews from Antioch and Iconium came and stoned Paul, dragging him out of the city, supposing him to be dead. And so this is a difficult thing that they're going through. But notice now as he comes back through all those cities, verse 23, so when they had appointed elders in every city and prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord in whom they had believed. That's pretty positive. They appointed elders in every church. How much time had gone by? Just a few weeks. And yet they're already appointing elders. You and I as Christians have everything we need to be used by God. Well, I'm not ready. I don't have enough Bible knowledge or skills. or It's not you. Trust me. It's not you. It's the Lord. And He wants to use you for His glory. Elders were raised up. They've only known the Lord a couple of weeks. And yet, elders are being raised up in the church. Hey, you guys oversee this now. Make sure you're sharing the good news. Make sure you're teaching the Bible. Make sure these people are growing in their faith. Awesome. Uh, verse 24 And after they had passed through Pisidia, they came to Pamphylia. Now, when they had preached the word in Perga, they went down to Italia. From there they sailed to Antioch, where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work which they had completed. Now when they had come and gathered the church together, they reported all that God had done with them, and that he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. So they stayed there a long time with the disciples. I love that because you don't see any complaining about how hard it is. To serve the Lord, you don't see any pointing out of attention to myself. Yeah, you see this lump right here on my head, man? That's when the rock hit me, and man, it's just sticking out right here. You don't really see any of that. You just see, I want to encourage them. I want to point them to the Lord. I want them to continue in the grace of God like I'm called to continue in the grace of God. Think about your suffering and think about what is the cause of that suffering. And let me read you, we're going to close here, out of 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4, starting at verse 14. The Bible says, If you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you, for the Spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. On their part, He is blasphemed, but on your part, He is glorified. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or a busybody in other people's matters. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this matter. For the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? Now if the righteous one is scarcely saved, where will the ungodly and the sinner appear? Therefore let those who suffer according to the will of God Commit their souls to Him in doing good as to a faithful Creator. So as you suffer, evaluate, where is my suffering coming from? Is it because I'm a Christian? I'm a child of God. Is it common, just sin has come into the world and, you know, it's just the common thing that other people uh, experience? Or is it a direct proportion to what I'm being faithful to God with? We don't want to suffer by meddling in other people's... Be- I love that section of scripture. Don't be a busybody meddling in the affairs of somebody else's life. Well, oh, they're all coming against me because I was telling them all how they need to live their life. That's not your job. It's not your job. Live your life. Do you, boo. And just let people live their lives. But at the same time, are we speaking out for Christ? Are we sharing the gospel? Are we being a light to those who who we come in contact with. We are God's only choice. We're not His best choice. We're His only choice. The Bible says in Matthew that we are the light of the world. And a light exposes darkness. We are the salt of the earth. Salt preserves, brings flavor, and makes people thirsty. And so that's what we're to be doing in this world And if I look at my life and I see that my suffering is in direct proportion to my sin and stupidity, then at some point I need to start waking up and saying, I need to stop this type of lifestyle. I need to stop doing these things. I'm just like, man, bringing all of this pain and all of this stuff is happening in my life in direct proportion to the the decisions that I'm making. And if that's not the case and my suffering is common sin, things that other people in this world go through, or because I'm just being faithful to what God has called me to. And man, we're called to rejoice in that. Understand that we have a a treasure in heaven that when we get there, we're going to say, wow, this was worth it. Amen? Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you. Lord, thank you for the example of Paul and Barnabas and their faithfulness, Lord. Their lives were difficult, but that difficulty was in direct proportion to their faithfulness And, Lord, you're calling each one of us to be faithful, to be the light of the world, to point people to you, to be able to let them know that the hope that lies within us is you. You are that hope. And so, Lord, we come across over and over throughout our days and weeks of living, we come across people who have no hope. And I pray, Lord, that we can direct them to you, that when they ask those questions, about our life, and about our faith, that we can be bold, Lord, to share the love of God, what you have done in our lives, what you have done in our hearts, and ultimately point them to the cross. And so, Lord, may we be faithful with the message that you have given to us as lights in this world, as the salt of the earth, for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen.